and welcome to the Ministry Focus Worship Essentials Podcast. This podcast will be focusing on looking into biblical standards of worship and how it applies to us as the body of Christ, as well as talking about issues involving worship in today's church. I'm your host, Brian Foster. Let's talk worship. And again, welcome to another podcast of the uh, Ministry Focus Worship Essentials podcast. And I wanted to start out uh, today's podcast by reading a little verse of scripture. And then we're going to go into a time of prayer. But the scripture today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 13, where the word of God says, Sing, O heavens. And be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. Heavenly Father, I just come before you right now thanking you and praising you for every opportunity that uh, you give me to minister and to be ministered to. And I pray, Father, that you use our time together today to uh, help me to communicate through your word, what worship is and, and what is contained within, within worship. And I just pray for those who listen, Lord, that uh, you would open up their hearts and minds uh, to what is being presented, uh, that you will use it and apply it to their everyday walk with you. And Father, we just give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for it all. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. It was October the 1st of 2017. A country music concert was going on when gunshots began to rain down upon the concert goers from a shooter perched in the upper levels of the Mandalay Bay Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Before it finally ended, 58 citizens were killed and almost 500 were injured. Out of the carnage came stories of heroism and acts of kindness. One such story was that of two sisters, one of which was in a wheelchair because of a bad knee. When the shooting began, the able sister grabbed her wheelchair-bound sister and began dragging her to safety but couldn't drag her fast enough. While folks were falling around them, two men appeared and picked up the wheelchair, uh, the wheelchair-bound sister, and took her to a safe place while the other sister ran beside them. Once both sisters were safe, the two men left. One of the men left his flip-flops behind for the wheelchair-bound sister because she had lost her shoes during the escape. After the tragedy, the sisters set out to search for those two men who bravely risked their lives for them. They wanted to thank them, hug them, take them out to eat, something to show their appreciation for what they had, uh, they had done for them. The sisters even took a picture of the flip-flops that one had left behind and posted it all over social media, and shared their story on the local news in an attempt to locate them. It's unknown if they had ever had the opportunity to express their gratitude to these heroic men. The natural response for anyone to someone who does something profoundly good for your well-being is to thank them back in an equally profound way. Now, if you were involved in a life-or-death situation, Would you be as determined to respond to that rescuer as these ladies were? And I imagine for most of us, that would be a resounding yes. If someone had came to save our lives and in such a tragic uh, event that took place such as that, we would do everything that we could to try to thank that person 
and in some instances try to serve that person for the rest of their lives for saving yours. So if that is the case, are you as determined every day to thank and heap praise on the one who saved you from a devil's hell by laying down his life and allowing himself to be nailed to a cruel Roman cross? Something for you to think about as we move forward. So let's get into the crux of it. What is worship? So Webster's Dictionary defines worship as to honor or to show reverence for as a divine being or supernatural power. Now, the Bible does not give us a definitive definition of worship, but it does give us over 600 references to worship using at least 87 different Hebrew and Greek words. One of my favorite um, uh, men of God to quote is Warren Wiersbe, and he defined worship as the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, body, to what God is and says and does. Now, Bob Coughlin defined worship as Christian worship is the response of God's redeemed people to his self-revelation that exalts God's glory in Christ in our minds affections, and wills, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So my takeaway from that is, again, you know, going back to uh, last week's podcast, I made mention that for the longest time, if you were like me now, again, I've been predominantly in Baptist churches all my life. And um, the first Baptist church that I grew up in for the first 33 years of my life was considered a missionary Baptist church. Now, in this particular church, we worshiped in reverence, okay? In other words, we didn't talk during the service. Uh, We were very quiet um, in what we did. Uh, Of course, we sang, but there was no demonstrative appreciation uh, there was no um, praise that was worshipped. Uh, it was the kind of church where if someone were to utter the word amen, uh, you would have a lot of them turn around and give you the evil eye, if you know what I mean. Um, so it was everything was done in a spirit of reverence. And and that's a part of worship. Don't, don't get me wrong, but that's just an example of how I was brought up. And as I moved forward in life, I remember one of the um, the first places I got to go, another part of my, uh, my ministry life, was I had the opportunity to sing with a Southern Gospel group. Man, I love that time of my life. Um, uh, it was the Corlears Quartet out of Fayetteville, North Carolina. And one of the first experiences that I ever got uh, away from my home church um, we got to sing at uh, our uh, pianist. Uh, he was a Church of God member, and, uh, man, he could flat-out play a piano, let me tell you what. And uh, we got to go and to worship uh, at this church or to sing at, the, at his church, and I'd never been exposed to uh, anything as far as a Church of God or uh, a charismatic church, as we call it now. And I remember we sang this song. It was kind of like uh, one of our mainstays. It was called uh, The Battle's Not Mine, Said Little David. It was called uh, Little David. And we would sing that song, and I had the lead on it. 
and we would sing that song, and people would just begin to amen and praise the Lord. And I was kind of looking as I was singing, and I'm like, okay, what's going on? Um, and I remember there was one sister. Uh, she was uh, a senior saint, and she got up, and she began to, to dance and I was totally taken aback, and my baritone singer, Jerry, too, had to tap me on the shoulder and say, okay, son, it's all right. She's in the spirit. Well, I didn't know what he was talking about, but I was just like, okay, whatever you say, I, you know, I'm not going to argue, but, you know, that was something that was foreign to me, and now it's become a mainstay uh, in my ministry as far as uh, uh, praising the Lord and experiencing worship, just like we would uh, going to a football game and cheering on our favorite team. And so, you know, a lot of the times we look at worship as something that we need to do in our quiet. Well, not necessarily. That is a part of the worship, yes, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there's so many ways where we can express our love and appreciation for our Lord and Savior just by holy reverence. Now, Here's some of the examples uh, that the Bible gives for worship. And uh, I want you to take careful attention. And again, I'm going to give you the scriptures. You go read it for yourself. Uh, but here's just a couple of examples. First, there was King David. Since we talked about the song Little David, let's talk about King David. I'm looking in Second Samuel chapter 6, uh, verses 12 through 15. Now, to give you a little background about this story is... Uh, you know, they had taken the Ark of the Covenant and they kept it at uh, uh, Obadiah's house. Okay. And so King David, once he had taken over and became king, he went to uh, Obadiah's house to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant and was taking it into Jerusalem. Now, that's where we kind of pick up here uh, on uh, in verse 12. And the Word of God says, And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obadiah, and all that pertaineth unto him, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obadiah into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces. Now, let me stop right there. They hadn't even took six steps with the Ark of the Covenant. And David sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Before they even took another step, they only moved six steps, and he said, oh, we're going to make a sacrifice. We're going to start worship right here, right now. We're going to sacrifice. So right there, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Now in verse 14, it said, And David danced before the Lord. Now I know as Baptists, we kind of get nervous and a little twitchy when we read that. But let me go on. He danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. And in verse 15, it says, And David and all the house of Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. So, again, David danced. Now, when he danced... It wasn't, and of course I wasn't there. I, I don't know exactly how I danced, but I don't think it was any of the modern dance that we do today. Okay, uh, I can only imagine it was a dance of joy, uh, almost like you were just hopping around um, and uh, and just being happy. Um, uh, and that's the kind of vision uh, that I, I received from that. Uh, but you know, uh, in, in David's time, 
that's what you did. You jumped for joy. You you kind of hopped around and and you lifted up your hands and and you began to shout. And as it says in verse fifteen, um, um, oh excuse me, yes, in verse fifteen, they brought up the ark of the covenant with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. So there again, we see a, a, a an example of one form of worship back in David's time. Now, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Second Chronicles chapter twenty, verses seventeen and eighteen. It goes a little bit further than than that. I like the whole chapter of, of chapter twenty because it tells a, a powerful story. This is during the time of King Jehoshaphat. And during this particular time, King Jehoshaphat is surrounded by his enemies, the Ammonites. I call them the, the Ites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, all the Ites uh, were surrounding him. And they, he knew that they were outnumbered. So the one thing that he knew what to do was to go inside the temple and get down on his face. And he began to worship the Lord, and he began to seek the Lord's help because he knew he couldn't do anything under his own power. All he could do was to seek the Lord's help, and he gathered all of Israel together in the temple and uh, and and began to fall on their face and begin to worship. And as they began to worship, King Jehoshaphat began to uh, beseech the Lord in, in a beautiful oratorical um, that he that he did, and I, and you can look that up again. It's in in chapter twenty. Beautiful words that he spoke to the Lord, and one of the Lord's servants spoke up uh, as the Lord was speaking through him, and he said, "Okay." And I'm gonna paraphrase it for you. Basically, the servant of the Lord said, "I want you not to worry. I'm in control of the situation. I want you to go out to the battlefield, and I want you to stand still." And watch me work and watch what I do for you. So that's where we pick it up in verse 17 and 18. Uh, This is the servant of the Lord speaking to King Jehoshaphat. The Lord is saying through him, and ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them. For the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. So again, we see another form of reverent worship that King Jehoshaphat and the people showed by showing their response and being humble before the Lord. The Lord was going to take care of their battle for them. Now we pick it up in verses 21 and 22, and these are two of my favorite verses in the chapter. And so the next day they got up, they went out to the battlefield to meet the, uh, Amor, the, the ites. And in verse 21 we pick up, and when he had consulted with the people, uh, speaking about King Jehoshaphat, he appointed singers unto the Lord, at, that they should praise the beauty of his holiness. And as they went out before the army, now imagine this, you got the army lined up, ready to battle. The choir comes in front of the army, okay? And to say, praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. So right there, you see how King Jehoshaphat, even though he knew he was going to do battle, or he thought he was going to do battle, he put the choir in front of the army. And they begin to sing, and they begin to praise. 
and begin to extol the beauty of the Lord and to praise him for what he was doing and what he was about to do. Now, in verse 22, it says, Now, when they begin to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah. And they were smitten. Now, again, you see the power of praise, the power of worship, the power of the Lord. As the choir began to sing, God began to handle the situation. As they began to worship, God began to move. And so that's, you know, and he used the, the King Jehoshaphat used the choir to actually set up the battle. And the Lord won out. He wiped out all the, the Ammonites and Moabites. And Israel had a fantastic victory. Why? Because they remembered who was in charge of everything. And they began to worship, and they began to to pray. Now, there are many more examples that I could list, but the point of this is that we get to worship God. Unlike the sisters in the story mentioned earlier, we have an opportunity to show our love and appreciation to an almighty God, not just on Sundays, but every day he allows us to take another breath here on earth. Think about it like this. Why wait to Sunday when you can worship on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so on and so forth? Battles happen every day. I know they happen in my life. I battle every day with um, what the enemy brings forth. And I know a lot of you that listen also battle. So why wait till you get to church on Sunday? When you can go ahead and beseech the Lord, get in your prayer closet, begin just to to thank him and to praise him for what he's done so far in your life, then begin to petition him and what you need, because he already knows what you need in your life. He already knows because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He knows what's, the Bible says he knows every hair on your head. So he's just waiting on you to come to him and to ask him for his help, to lean upon him. And then as you ask for his help and you begin to worship, whether that's by turning on a song and listening to it, whether that's just private worship between you and the Lord, however you want to set it up, you don't have to wait to get to church to get to the altar every day. You can worship the Lord anytime, any place, anywhere, in your car. I know a lot of the times when I go to work every day, I start out, oh, well, I start out my morning actually at the home, at the house, by praying, reading a little short devotion, and then listening to some gospel music. And I began to sing. And, and while I'm doing that, I'm also kind of formulating where God is leading me to, uh, to set up the worship for the f- following Sundays. But he's also blessing my heart because I think about how good he's been to me. You know, I don't deserve one blessing. We don't deserve one blessing that he can pour out of heaven on us. But we get the opportunity. Like I said, he doesn't need our worship. He's got angels surrounding him all the time. 
worshiping in him, praising him, giving him glory and honor and praise. But we get the honor and the privilege to worship him. And we need to take that opportunity because when we worship and we do so in spirit and in truth, and there's going to be another podcast while I'm on zero in on what Jesus was talking about as far as spirit and truth is concerned and how we worship. But when we begin to worship and we begin to praise him, but God begins to move. God begins to, to, to formulate that plan and it's going to take care of that burden in your, in your, um, in your life. He's going to take care of that problem that arose. Now, he never promised us that he was going to make everything roses for us, but he did say he was going to lead. He would never leave us nor forsake us. He would help us through the storms of life. And one of these ways that we get to do so is by worship. Now, what all does worship entail? It's everything that we do for God. In other words, so you may not can sing. You know, singing's not your thing, and you uh, may be a, a shower-only singer, okay? Uh, what other ways are there to worship? Well, when you read your Bible, guess what? You worship it. When you pray, you worship. When you tithe, you worship. When you teach or preach, you worship. When you follow the Lord in, in the ordinance of baptism or partake in the Lord's Supper as a Christian, you worship. Anything you do for the Lord is an act of worship. The question you have to ask yourself is how passionate is your worship? Is it something that you just do on Sundays or is it something that you do every day of the week? Now, look at it from this standpoint. I'm going to give you this one last example. I am a UNC Tar Heel fan. Football, this is my time of year. I love football. I love college football. And especially when the Tar Heels are playing well, man, I'm into it. And you can ask my wife. She hates college football season. She doesn't want to be around me. Now, my daughter took after her daddy, and she loves the Tar Heels. So we'll sit there and we'll watch them. We we groan when uh, when they're not doing so well. But we're going to cheer, and we're going to shout when they're doing well. And uh, like I said, a lot of the animals and my wife tend to hide and, and to move away whenever the Tar Heels are playing on television. And especially when we get the chance to get tickets to go to Chapel Hill uh, to watch a football game, man, we, we just can't contain our, our joy whenever Drake May is leading that uh, last-minute touchdown to win the game or kicking that extra point or whatever the game or, or whatever the, the circumstance may be. But we show our appreciation. We show our joy for the good things that they're doing on the field by, by shouting and by whistling and, and any other things that we can do to be demonstrative, to show our appreciation for what they've done. Now, the Tar Heels, even though I enjoy them immensely, they didn't save my life. They didn't take up a cross and willingly lay down upon it and allow themselves to be nailed to it and shed their perfect life's blood upon it to save me from a devil's hell. Only one person did that, and that's Jesus Christ. If I'm able to show my appreciation in a football game or a basketball game 
How much more should I not show the Lord Jesus Christ every day of my life that I should cheer him on, that I should appreciate what he's done for me, that I shouldn't shout and raise my hands in worship of an almighty God for saving my wretched life? Why shouldn't we do that every day? Yes, Sundays we come together in a corporate setting as brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible says we are not to forsake the assembling of one another. We draw strength from each other. How much more prepared if you begin to worship him every day of the week, how much more prepared would you be when you entered into the church doors that Sunday morning? Just think about it. If you would take the time each and every day, whether it's to read the Bible, pray, sing, teach or preach. When you go to a gas station, put a salvation card in the, on the gas tank for somebody. That's an act of worship. Okay? Something every day to prepare your heart and keep your heart in continual worship so that when you get with the other brothers and sisters in Christ, man, you can just have a time together in worship and praise in spirit and in truth. And so I want you to take that this week, and I want you to just, and like I said, use those biblical examples uh, that I gave you and really think about, you know, I'm not saying that you have to start dancing in church or anything like that. Um, Don't take me wrong. But you should be able to freely express your love and your appreciation for what a perfect Savior done for each and every one of us. So hopefully you'll take the time to reevaluate your time of worship and consider what, if any, changes you need to make. Now, I could go on and on uh, with what is worship, but for right now, I'm just going to take let you take that nugget, and we're going to dig in deeper uh, as uh, in the next few uh, podcasts that come up. And like I said, hopefully before the end of the month, I'm going to have a special guest here uh, to kind of help uh, tie a bow uh, around this for you. So uh, just take what I said, get into God's Word, read more about it, and uh, meditate on it until the next time. So until next time, we'll look forward to... Uh, We'll we'll look at at doing the next podcast, I should say. And forgive me, I'm still new at this, so I'll stumble here and there. But uh, next time, we'll look at the practices of worship and what different types of worship there are. Again, thank you for giving me a few minutes of your time today. Until next time, keep a song in your heart and keep Jesus in the center. So long for now.